Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good afternoon, everybody. Just by way of introductions, I'm James Dow. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of uh, DSW Capital. Uh, my background is a Chartered Accountant and a Management Accountant. Uh, 18 years at KPMG, eight of which as a partner. And I was one of the very young partners at 33, but unsatisfied. So in 2002, I left to set up Dow Schofield Watts with two former colleagues, John Schofield and Mark Watts. We were former at KPMG, we're still colleagues. Uh, in terms of other things, my strength is in private equity, M&A, and building this business. I'm also a non-executive director of the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts. Hi, everybody. I'm Nicole Burstow. I'm CFO. I've been with the business for three and a half years now. Um, prior to that, I was a director at Deloitte. Been at Deloitte um, all of my career. So at the point I decided to move on, I was pretty entrenched um, at Deloitte. But one of the reasons that attracted me to joining DSW was um, the model. Um, and I could really relate to it. I could see the attraction that it would have and the appeal it would have to people in a similar position to me in the bigger firms or in terms of flexibility and autonomy. Um, so I was excited by the prospect to, to build and grow a business that I felt created a new um, attractive career opportunity for, for finance professionals. So I joined the business in, in April 19. My role was to help to grow the business, to get us ready to float and obviously to get the listing away, which we successfully did in December last year. And in terms of my ongoing roles, as well as my finance responsibilities, I oversee um, operations and recruitment and I also manage the relationships with our, our licensee partners. And if I give you a, an overview of what, what DSW is now. So DSW Dowsco for what is the business that I would have joined if it had been available when we started our business. So our offer is to provide professional services, big full calibre to corporate clients predominantly. Our business model is different, however. So we have 97 professionals working predominantly under the Dowsco for Watts brand, and they work under a license arrangement. So effectively, they're self-employed in their own business units, and they pay as a license fee. And our license fee is typically a percentage of the revenues, percentage of the revenues they're charging their clients. And DSW Capital's role is to provide them with the infrastructure, financial support, and other support to get them up and running. And our ethos, therefore, is trying to attract ambitious professionals and empower them to build businesses. And that's the key differentiator of how I see our business. Because of the models all focused about that empowerment and those teams building out their businesses, we can actually provide uh, significant support to a number of people with a very small head office. Uh, at the moment, we've got 8.2 full-time equivalents, um, myself and Nicole, and that enables us to leverage those skills to bring on more and more businesses. Uh, it's a very cash-generative business, and in terms of the history of the business, because my background is corporate finance, we were strong in corporate finance initially. We added on due diligence and other service lines, and Nicole explained more than that. But fundamentally, at the moment, we're still 70% based on M&A around the SME marketplace in the UK. And on the right-hand side of that graphic, just to give you an illustration of where we are, 
we're a regional business, though we do have representation in London. We're strongest in the north, we're representation in Aberdeen, Glasgow and Edinburgh and Reading in the south, as well as London. The business is going tremendously well and continues to grow really well. So the head counts up again and those other key metrics you show at the bottom. So our, our income, DSW Capital's income, that license income's up 40% and our partners, our hardworking partners have generated an extra 34% in revenues year on year. So if we give you just a snapshot then in terms of the investment proposition or how I see the investment proposition, it's a scalable model. Uh, it's innovative. It's generally innovative in, in, in the sector that we are and also how we operate. Um, because it's a, a model where it's backing professional services businesses, it's actually capital light. It's hugely cash generative because we're backing businesses to grow and they do grow. It's got recurring revenues because the professionals that we seek to go in business with, uh, their skill sets are sought on a recurring basis. So we have very few clients who are uh, recurring in the nature that you regard like an audit fee, but their skill sets are in continual demand and therefore our license fees are continually being generated. I've indicated on the bottom right how fast the business has grown. We have grown really quickly. Uh, we continue to grow fast. Uh, we've definitely been accelerated by what I call the IPO halo effect, which I'll touch on a bit later. Um, from my perspective, we operate in a very, very large market ripe for disruption. I say that because there's not a lot of change happening in the accountancy and professional services sector that we operate in. And therefore, I think we have a great opportunity with our different approach uh, and different ways of doing business. And just to recap on the AIM listing, it's improved our profile tremendously to uh, partner candidates. It's improved it to potential employees. I believe it's significantly increased the confidence of our existing partners. And very importantly, it's provided the growth for, you know, um, the capital for growing business even quicker. I'll hand on to Nicole now. She'll cover the, uh, the current service lines that we've got and how the business model actually operates. Okay, so just to give you an overview of the current service lines um, that we have in the group currently. So we've got 20 different businesses. They're all licensee businesses and they're split across the 11 different service lines that you can see on the screen there. Um, so the most significant service line is corporate finance advisory. So we've got 37 professionals in that, in that business. That was the foundation of, of the group. They operate in the mid-market. So average deal size is around 25 million very talented team, multi-award winning in the North. And to give you a feel for, for scale in the marketplace, um, so in the latest Experian report for Q3, um, we were ranked sixth largest in terms of deals volume um, and first in the, in the Northwest. The next largest service line is financial due diligence. Um, they're a team of 19 professionals. Lots of opportunities to refer work across from CF to, um, to DD. And so for that reason, we have teams in each of the locations where we've got a corporate finance team. Again, they're a multi-award winning team. Third largest service line is business recovery. So we have a team of 10 in that business. They're all based in the Northwest um, and obviously counter-cyclical. Then we have our business planning team. They're a team of seven, again, based in the Northwest. They joined us as an existing business in 2019. And we'll tell you a little bit more about how that works later. 
We have our equity finance business. So um, that business is run by three of the founding shareholders, started life as an equity fund um, and recently incorporated into an industrial holding company. But they're looking to invest in businesses, three to 20 million turnover. Then we've got a number of other service lines that you can see across the bottom of of the slide that are smaller, fewer fee earners, um, but they're all key growth opportunities for us to expand. And just to highlight the two businesses that joined us um, subsequent to um, IPO, so our asset base risk management team and wealth planning. So delighted to welcome Hazel Martin and Jonathan on board. Okay, so just to give you a bit more detail on the the model and how that works. So essentially, we have um, an in-house recruitment team and they will target, tends to be big four experienced professionals. 62% of our fee earners are actually big four. So that, that tends to be what we're known for in the marketplace. The model appeals to people who are typically more entrepreneurially minded, those that are frustrated with things like the politics um, and the lack of autonomy that you get in the bigger firms. And what we do is we empower them to build their own business under the DSW brand. All of our arrangements contain a license fee, and that license fee is based on a percentage of revenue that the business is built. That has historically grown from 10% up to 22%. So all of our new licensees coming on board are paying the 22% rate. Um, That still remains very competitive in the marketplace. So you may be familiar with Keystone Law that operates a similar platform model in in the legal sector. They charge up to 40%. So what that means is that our partners are keeping at least 78% of the fees that they're billing. So in return for that license fee, we provide the back office support. So we're trying to take away a lot of the administration burden that comes with running your own business and allowing our our partners to focus on winning work and and delivering um, services to their clients. So that includes everything from facilities, marketing, um, recruitment, compliance support, IT support, accounting and, and banking. You'll have seen on that previous slide that we have, um, in some cases, multiple businesses within a service line. And for that reason, we operate a service line incentive, and that's to encourage collaboration across that service line and sharing of IP. We also operate a referral fee um, scheme. So our partners are incentivized to refer work into each other's businesses. And really importantly, we provide all of the startup funding So in terms of the model and the strengths of that model from our perspective, so um, it provides us with recurring income. So our partners in the absence of a fixed salary are incentivized to deliver a consistent level of income. The license fee is also taken off off revenue. So that means it's top slice, so it's high quality and, and robust. DSW Capital has minimal exposure to property and employee costs, so our licensee businesses bear those costs themselves. So what that means is we have very low operational gearing. Because of the targeting that we do on the recruitment, it means we typically will get self-starters, so they hit the ground running. And our agreements are flexible, so we can easily bring in new partners into an existing business and facilitate that organic growth. The model is very capital light. So none of our startup businesses have required an investment of in excess of 250K. And um, it's very cash generative. So our typical payback period is three years. So then looking at it from the licensee's perspective, why would why would they join? So, you know, in comparison to starting up on their on their own, 
having the power of the brand behind them on day one really allows them to hit the ground running. So they've got they've got credentials, they've got a deal sheet, um, they've got access to better quality work, better quality clients. What they also have is a network of introducers that are all financially incentivized to refer work into their business. They find recruitment easier, partly because we've got in-house recruitment to support them, but also the, the candidates joining the group see themselves being part of DSW as opposed to one part of the business. So we tend to be able to attract better quality candidates. And we've also invested significantly in the period um, on our, our talent and people development. So offering group-wide training um, specific development programs for our rising stars in the business. So that's all helped with retention. Then in terms of startup funding, that's a, that's a really important part of, of, the, of the model um, because we want to attract young, driven um, individuals who want to build a business. So they need that financial security. So we will, as part of the offer, we'll underwrite partner drawings for a period of, of 12 months. Okay, so I'll move on to performance highlights um, for the half year. So really pleasingly, we're on track um, and good growth on the prior year. So uh, network revenue, which is the revenue that has been billed by all of our licensee businesses, has increased by 34% on the prior period, up to 9.8 million. We've seen strong demand for our services across the network throughout that period and are continuing to see strong demand for, for those services. But we are obviously mindful of the economic headwinds as we head into um, the second half of the year. We do expect a 40-60 split between half one and half two. Um, that's because of seasonality in the business, but also um, with growth and our profit share income is typically weighted to the second half of the year. And also just to highlight that we did see what we believe to be a peak in revenue per fee in the second half of FY22 because of the buoyancy in the, in the M&A market and, and the profile boost that we got post-float. So we're not expecting that same growth trajectory going forward. So that's all translated into a 40% increase in total income from licensees of 1.6 million. And that increase is higher on a relative basis from the increase in network revenue, because we have seen an increase in our average license fees. And you would expect that typically as we're kind of taking new businesses on at that higher license fee rate. Adjusted EBITDA was an increase of 9% to just under a million. So the increase in revenue that we've generated has more than offset the cost of being a listed business. The model is very cash generative, um, as I mentioned before. So we've finished the period with 4.6 million of cash, and that was after paying uh, 0.9 million of dividends in the year. We have announced a further interim dividend um, of 1.76 pence, and that'll be paid on the 11th of, of January. Um, so in total, the investors that, that came in um, on IPO will have received 5.98 pence per share. And then just to highlight a couple of fee earners stats. So we finished the period with 93 fee earners. Um, so just under 15% year-on-year growth. And that's in a challenging recruitment market that is commonplace across the professional services market. We are seeing signs of that loosening. Um, and we had four new joiners in, in October, so up to 97. And what's been really pleasing, as James highlighted earlier, is the the profile boost from the float. So in total, we've had a net increase of 15 um, since we listed in December. So really seeing that the, the benefits materialise, both in recruitment and also in, in attrition. And then the other stat just to highlight is 
We've seen an increase in the average number of fee earners per business. So that's gone up from 4.4 to 4.7. So again, demonstrating strong organic recruitment and has been able to help support our partners to grow their teams. So just to dip into the primary statements, just in a bit more detail to give it um, some more colour. So really good top line growth and, and sort of what's been driving that. The, the SME M&A marketplace, which is our primary market, has remained really resilient during the period. And also against that sort of backdrop, what we've also seen is we've moved up the rankings in terms of deals. So we're now in the latest report ranked sixth largest in the UK, and that's up from 13th in, in the prior year. Profit sharing, Kim, I'll explain this briefly, but in some of our arrangements, we have um, an entitlement to profit over a certain threshold. That's increased significantly year on year. That reflects sort of the increased charge out rates and improved um, margins um, that our partners are, 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 are managing to achieve in their businesses. In terms of cost base, so we are, because of the model, largely insulated from inflationary pressures. We've got minimal exposure to, to wage and property inflation, as we mentioned before, that sits with the, the licensee businesses. And we purposely keep a lean cost base at, at head office. So we've got 8.2 full-time equivalents in the business. And there's a balance to be had because obviously we want to keep the cost base lean, but at the same time, we want to ensure that we're adding value to our, to our partners. Um, so we're making sure that we're investing in the right areas that really makes a difference to help, help them grow their business. So the increased costs that you've seen year on year, that's primarily due to the, the cost of being a listed business. But also, we did invest in central infrastructure. And to give you a feel for what we've invested in, that's been focused on increasing partner collaboration. So trying to drive up the referrals across the network, um, ESG, and making sure that we're best in class and in, from an ESG perspective, and around people development and recruitment. So adjusted PBT of 0.9, that's an increase of, of 7%. That's an adjusted figure. So that's after we've deducted the share-based payment or moved the effect of the share-based payment in the year of, of just over 300k. Just to highlight, again, we flagged this um, previously in, in the, the, the previous update. It is a, a one-off in the sense that we issued growth shares to partners and employees prior to floating. Um, they did all convert on IPO, so they're non-dilutive going forward, non-cash impacting, won't impact on reserves or our ability to pay dividends. And we, we would expect that charge then to be on a more normalised basis from December 23 onwards, where it will just represent the management LTIP. On the balance sheet, just a couple of things to quickly highlight um, for context. So our intangible assets represent our licensed brands. Um, and our investments are um, that represents our interest in, in our licensee businesses. Very robust balance sheet at the end of the period, 7.8 million net assets and capital um, available to deploy. From a cash flow perspective, the model is really cash generative. To illustrate that point, our lockup for the six month period was 27 days. Typically in professional services, you see lockups of 90 days plus. Um, the reason why our lockup is a lot lower is all to do with the model. So firstly, the working capital requirement is, is passed to our, our partners. That's the key strength of, of our model. Um, secondly, um, our partners don't get paid until the business gets paid. So they're very, very good at getting their cash in, in quickly. And thirdly, because of the nature of the service lines, it's transactional. So our clients are paying quickly on completion of deals. 
Um, operating cash conversion was 85% for the period of September. We will get swings in that metric just to highlight because we have a quarterly billing cycle. It was higher in the prior year because we had um, a very strong Q4 to FY21. The invoices were then subsequently collected in Q1 of FY22. Um, so that's caused that swing. In the absence of any exceptional fees, I typically expect that to be around 80 to 100%. Um, in, when you don't have exceptional fees, it shouldn't really go over 100% or get close to 100% if the business is growing. And because we make startup loans to our licensees, that obviously affects working capital. So it, it, in a normal basis, it should be kind of between that or below 100%, but above 90 um, moving on to network KPIs, so just touch on a couple that I haven't mentioned already. Our average license fee for the period was 16.7%. That is before any real impact from profit share income, which are all typically weighted to half two. The comparative for September in the previous year was 16%. So we've seen um, an increase in that as, as sort of the newer businesses are coming on at the, the higher license fee rate. The average number of fee earners in each of our businesses is 4.7. That's up from 4.4. So again, just to emphasize, our model is different from other platform models. We want to build businesses and teams. We're not building a network of, of sole traders. The average age of our partners has increased slightly from March. So we've gone from 47 to 48. That is a constant challenge for us because we get such a low partner turnover but it still does compare well to other platform models, such as Keystone, for example, where um, the uh, the average age is 52. So it means we get greater longevity in our businesses. But but more key than that um, for longevity is that we're building teams. So we've got those succession plans and the teams coming through um, to take over. 22% of our partners are female. That's in line with where we were at the year end. We have had um, one new partner joining us in January. And we are in line with the big four on that metric, but we've said this before that we feel that is a real opportunity to lead the field on that on that statistic uh, because of the inherent flexibility in the model. And we're, we're setting the tone from the top with 60% of the board being female. One of the highlights of the 12 months, because we, we listed on the 16th of December last year as being the impact of the heightened profile from the IPO. And that's evident in the fact that our fee earners have grown something like 15%, but our fees, our, you know, our, our professionals charging out fees, they've grown by 34% in this, this latest half. And that, or, it's hard to articulate what's happening there. Part of it is this increase in profiles. It's evident in terms of numbers of people coming to the business. It's evident in the growth of the fees. And the other way I can try and describe why we're suddenly becoming more attractive is probably in this slide we'll talk about the, the press coverage. So prior to the IPO, uh, we are uh, well known in our local business communities. So the achievements of the firm would be regularly covered by those journals and daily bulletins that focus on the local business community. But what's happened with the float is that we've become more mainstream in our news appeal. And I'll give you some examples in terms of the Times and the Scotsman and interestingly, Accountancy Today. So that's obviously read by our target audience and even our results today of that main headline for the news. So as the key message I wanted to get across in terms of the benefit of the IPO, I hoped it would bring profile benefits. 
and the benefits appear to be very, very tangible. But that was the easiest way I had to illustrate it. In terms of the other things that we're doing, there's two initiatives going on with the firm at the moment. One is that um, we want our people to be the best they can be. So one of the initiatives around that is investing more in their training and development. So we've launched a future leader program with uh, Becoming X. So it's really important that we invest in those people, they tend to be young when they join us and increase their management capabilities. And the second element of this ESG journey is I want DSW Capital to be the best that it can be. Uh, our businesses are small businesses. They can't invest in that additional emotional appeal, which is really important to candidates of the future and today about what does my firm represent? How is it perceived in its communities? How does it take on its social responsibilities? So what we've tried to do is take on a lot of those this year, doing very hard trying to identify initiatives where we can be class leading. We're smaller in terms of we've only got 100 professionals, 97 professionals, so that we can take the lead. And it's our intention to stay in that position because it enhances the ability of our partners to recruit people and it increases their well-being and feelings about DSW Capital. So that's our, our ESG initiative. In terms of, sort of going forward and the, the growth opportunities that we got for the business, they still remain around those five pillars. The main pillar that we've had most of the benefit has been around that organic growth. So of those 15 heads, predominantly they've been people we've assisted, it's the employees growing into those businesses. And Nicole referred to the fact that our, our small businesses, our 20 businesses, have gone from an average of 4.4 to 4.7 people. So it's a key pillar of growth. We've driven most of that growth essentially on that central pillar of organic growth. We continue to add on geographies. So we want to be in new locations and service line extensions. So service line extension is perhaps doing a service line that uh, other firms and big four are doing that we currently don't do. So that's an active area of interest. And the two wings are the things that are probably going to be transformational for our business going forward. So the first wing is this acquisition of license fees. That's an opportunity for DSW Capital to find businesses that are looking to have a change of ownership and facilitate that change of ownership where they become licensee businesses and in exchange for which we'll pay a capital sum. They could be very transformational in our business and culturally the people that we're likely to bring in will fit with us because they tend to be driven by ambitious entrepreneurial people. Aligned to that is our breakout initiative. That's an initiative focused at trying to recruit teams. So we are trying to pull out full teams using the extra cash resources we've got at Capital to underwrite a bigger team, stepping out from an existing organization and building the business that they'd like to build. You know, creating a culture that they want to create and working with the clients that are most valuable to them. So those are all the opportunities and uh, they still remain present to us and hopefully they'll be very significant for us in the future. And that we can only grow if the environment's right for us to grow. And I, I, I repeat a message that I've, I've said for several years is that the accountancy profession is ready for something new. Uh, the big four are under continual pressure to readjust and realign their, their businesses between audit and non-audit. There is an inherent conflict. For me, it's unmanageable without separation. And that fragmentation will create opportunities. 
But it's not enough that it's just opportunities. We've then got to create the platform for those seeking those opportunities to come to us. So there's two components to that. The left-hand component is about differentiating our offer. So what makes us different? And the difference is really about autonomy and flexibility. We genuinely, our businesses have operational freedom to work with who they like, employ who they like, and pay who they like. And adding to which, we give them massive economic benefits in terms of they're, they're able to do extremely well personally on a financial basis because what they do is directly linked to their reward. It's not opinionated by somebody else and it's not moderated by somebody else. What they do is what generates their income. So those are our pull factors, the differentiators. But they also need to make sure that the partners from these well-established firms feel that they're going to get the same benefits that they had before. They still want to feel the breadth of services. So the breadth of services means that they can challenge and consider and consult with others about issues that they're perhaps not that familiar with. So that consultative environment, that infrastructure support, so they're not having to organize everything themselves. And then the international network. So we've now got over 30 countries, which enables any of my partners effectively to reach any of the major economies and know they've got a trusted source to help them with any issues. So in summary, that's the accounting profession has got to be right, and we've got to do our bit to make sure we're, we're capturing people and providing the, the support and the landing that they want. In terms of the opportunities that we'd like to expand into, in terms of the, particularly on the acquisition side, very interested in high margin and niche professional services. So I probably alluded to it before. I'm really interested in people who have special skill sets that are in continuous demand. The demand might come from different people, but their expertise is continually sought, and that's very important to us. So we've obviously got those existing services. So those existing services would be great in new locations. We're very underrepresented in tax and so that family office um, offering. We've obviously got people on the ground, and they are excellent. We've got excellent partners, and we've got excellent referral base but the, the, we haven't got enough bandwidth to fully exploit the opportunities. And then all uh, my uh, partners and employees, we've got 97 professionals who are absolutely committed to building their businesses and will help others. And I want to give them the opportunity to introduce others who can help their clients. And I see those in their sort of catch-all employer solution services where we're dealing with owner managers and we're trying to solve their business problems. The next area that of significant interest is the legal services. Uh, legal services are much more um, structured in terms of using different platform models. Our model is genuinely different. We're not a sole trader platform. We want people to build businesses and we think there's a scope in the legal services market. And then I've got a catch all. And my catch-all is anything that the big four do is likely to be of interest to us, with the exception of audit and probably compliance tax. And for me, that's more about margins and the ability to um, work on value-added propositions for clients. So in terms of where we've got to in terms of the year or the half year, well, 12 months since we floated has been extraordinary. Uh, the benefit's been tremendous. We've had strong growth in network revenue just on that half. Uh, 34%. It's against the backdrop, as you know, at the start of this half, we've had the situation in Ukraine and significant macro headwinds. 
Our businesses remain robust. They've enjoying high activity levels. We continue to be attractive and have an attractive proposition to bring in new partners. And very pleasingly, more and more employees want to be associated with the business and the direction. Our market position, frankly, is astounding. Uh, as one of the three who stepped out back in 2002 to think that now, in the last nine months, our business uh, is doing the sixth of all M&A transactions in the UK is quite extraordinary. But it's a continuous growth. So it was 13th last year and the comparative period 10th. But the journey seems to be relentless. And it's a business that continues to generate cash, which means we can continue to support dividends. Now, in terms of looking forward and the outlook, uh, I have to say that the demand for our services has held up remarkably well from my perspective. A downturn in M&A must impact us, but the businesses are resilient. My partners are resourceful. Uh, they're driven to find results. And to date, they found results for clients and excelled in everything they do. And we've got counter-cyclical opportunities. So the business recovery guys, improving profile, debt advisory, and restructuring services all expect to grow. And all those opportunities for growth, those five pillars I was talking about, they're all open to us to continue to grow. And perhaps a, a more, people with a more cautious outlook will see the opportunity to sell their businesses or to, or to move on. And that will create great opportunities for us. So we're currently on track to meet market expectations. And I have to say again, thank you to everybody in the business, the partners, employees, for their extraordinary efforts. Because from my perspective, these are another great set of results. Thank you. How do you recruit people? So um, a lot of our recruitment um, at the moment is, is outbound. So we've got two um, in-house recruitment managers who are um, essentially targeting for, for partner potential partner candidates. So it, it has been that way historically. Um, we are looking to drive more um, internal referrals and you know our partners are very supportive in that respect. So we're seeing more introductions via our, our partners' networks. And we're also trying to work on, um, you know, the floats help with this in terms of brand profile, but building up the funnel of inbound opportunities as well. Thank you very much. And you mentioned breakouts. Could you tell us a little bit more what you mean by breakouts and what that means for the business? Uh, well, in the, well, the opportunity is really to try and attract uh, people that are currently in a large organisation. Um, uh, essentially, what I'm trying to do is bring the whole team. So moving on your own is a very frightening prospect in building a business. So we're trying to make it very easy to say, look, we'll take the whole team, come with your partners, come with your colleagues, and we'll set up a separate business unit and we'll make that landing as soft as we possibly can. Uh, because if you really are ambitious and you are frustrated, we will give you the operational autonomy where you can truly thrive and we'll invest in you for you to achieve the best you can be. Tremendous. And have you attracted any teams? Have any onboarded so far? The history of the business is predominantly teams. So, uh, you know, the origins of the corporate finance businesses and the due diligence businesses has historically been brought in twos and threes. And as a general rule, times they're tremendously successful. And when we're bringing in individual partners, we're constantly encouraging them to say, 
that we think the opportunity is bigger than just you on your own. So that tends to be the thrust. But in terms of uh, bigger teams, which is where I really want to get to, when I say big, I'm thinking sort of six to 10 people. Uh, that's just the work in progress. But hopefully we've seen some green shoots on that. Tremendous. Thank you. And do you target um, licensees by region? And what's your target number of licensees by the end of calendar year 2023? Uh, we are very interested in the regional model um, because we think there's a strength in the regions in terms of individual capabilities. Uh, we don't need to be very strong in London from my perspective, though there's a lot of talent in London and they're very welcome to join us. Uh, we don't set, we have, we do have ideas about how many heads we want. Uh, Tamsin is currently recruiting, our target is to recruit two people a month. Uh, and we remain on track with that. Beyond that, um, these other opportunities in terms of acquiring businesses and breakouts will allow us to step change more significantly. Thank you. And could you expand a little bit more on the areas where you see growth, the areas that you're interested to expand into? We are currently in seven cities across the UK. Uh, I think there are about 40 that the big four are currently represented in. So that would be our natural talent pool. So my intuition is there are probably 33 cities that could support the, uh, the DSW business. So from that perspective, that will give you the, the geographic spread. And then in terms of disciplines, as I said, it's um, niche businesses where the teams have got an inherent skill that's likely to be continuously sought and their expertise recognised. And that actually is a very long list of potential um, opportunities for us. We will start with those that we regard as greater the strongest fit for my existing teams to work with. So my partners and employees are massive advocates of the business and they are very supportive of one another. So it's just easy if I make it easy for them to introduce somebody that they feel most comfortable with, which is likely to be a service line closest to what they do, like in tax and, and wealth planning. And the revenues increased by a greater percentage than the adjusted EBITDA. Could you provide a little bit of background to that? So, so primarily that's driven because of the cost of being a listed business. So we've obviously more than covered that. And then the other thing that we've done from a cost perspective is we've invested in certain areas um, to try and add value to our, our existing licensee businesses. And as I mentioned before, the areas that we're really focused on, on improving through those investments is around um, partner collaboration and generating more internal referrals. Um, across the group and ideally on that we want to get to a position where um, our partners are getting more referrals back than they're paying out in a license fee um, the other areas around ESG and James explains a little bit about what we're doing um, on that and in particular investing in our future uh, rising stars in, in, the, in the existing businesses so we've got a really great training program with Becoming X on that um, and, and all of that people development investment has been has helped with retention. So we've seen attrition come down um, and the other areas around recruitment and the marketing sort of spend behind that. So it's it's predominantly cost of being listed, but yeah. then some investment essentially as well. Thank you very much. And licensee startup loans, are they paid back out of revenues? So it is, it is a loan. Um, 
So what typically happens is we um, underwrite partner drawings for a period of, of 12 months plus, plus the costs of the setup costs of, of starting the business. That loan then remains outstanding for further 12 months where we don't charge any interest. So allowing the business to become established. And then at that point, the businesses start to repay those loans. So they are repayable. Thank you. For non-performing licensees, how do you exit them from the network? Uh, I would say very rarely, first of all, uh, and then I'd say gently and professionally. So um, what tends to happen, Tamsin, is we get people who, who hope it's going to go really well. They've got the technical capability, but perhaps when they lose some of the um, support of um, colleagues, they become a bit more isolated and their business development capabilities aren't as strong. So it's the exception rather, it is very much the exception. And what happens is that it's quite clear they can't scale their business. So reality, we'll be very patient partners with them to see if we can help them get to that breakthrough point. But if we're not going to get there, it'll be a, it'll be a grown up conversation saying, you're probably not earning as much as you'd like to earn. Um, so we probably need to think about, do you want to be doing something else? But it's a gentle conversation. It's not a not a heave ho. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. And that's the end of questions. James, do you have any closing remarks? Um, the, what I would like to say is, that, again, to thank the extraordinary efforts of the teams that, you know, what you, you're looking at the benefit of a model which is empowering people to be um, self sufficient in a way and driven and ambitious. And the business model is benefiting from all our extraordinary efforts. And from an investor's perspective, it's really exciting that we can continue to do that because the talent pool is there. And whilst we might be looking at some headwinds, um, conversely, that might drive us, our ability to recruit more people. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.